Facts are facts, but truth is truth. Is it 2019 or 1984? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. My normal time, Saturday, 3 to 6. Today, it's Sunday. I'm on 1 to 3. Not enough time for all the stuff that is going on this week, but uh, we are going to get to it all and hit the ground running. So I want to say hello to my trusty sidekick and producer, Binkley. How are you doing? Fantastic. I loved that opening. Did you? I actually screwed it up. <laughs> supposed to be did alexandria ocasio cortez just say facts are facts but truth is true i I thought it was fantastic all right well i did i thought maybe it was too uh too down the rabbit hole but i think that's where we are don't you think that's where we are right now i mean isn't it wasn't the ministry of truth like a propaganda organ in 1984 that's exactly where we are and here's the interesting wasn't george orwell in british intelligence yeah he was so this is what they call i believe predictive programming Mm mm-hmm so he was just putting it out there so like to carve the pathways in our brain so it's not so shocking when it descends upon us. Right. So we just accept it willingly. So but that jumps the gun a little bit because I want to talk about I, I do want to give the backstory on that. When the Starbucks publicity stunt uh, came up where the guy said uh, the racist barista called the cops on them for wanting to use the bathroom. And in reality, they generated that crisis. The police report reveals. So we talked about it when that came up. And I picked out something that one of the guys said when he was doing his media circuit. Rules are rules, but right is right. And then I extended that to when Stacey Abrams was talking about being public transportation shamed, poverty shamed by Zell Miller's. Uh, governor's mansion when she was valedictorian and Zell Miller's chief of security uh, called BS on that. And her campaign responded, not this is I paraphrased. I made a meme out of it. Uh, Facts are facts, but truth is truth that it doesn't. Don't worry about whether that actually happened. I'm pointing out something or she's pointing out something real and important. And I just don't – it's always been my philosophy that if you don't have an actual example, if the crisis that you're worried about isn't something that's actually happening, then don't give me the solution. Don't don't tell me that that's the way the world is because I don't think that's the way the world is. And you're making stuff up to make me think it is the way, but you don't – you can't prove it. Really matters. Really – that's why I worry a little bit about psychology and sociology – having been hijacked as a way to convince you that what you can tell with your own senses and your own logic aren't true, that there are social factors and psychological factors that defy your reason. And that keeps you from being able to use your reason to assess uh, what's right and wrong, what's um, necessary and all that. And then you could go further down the rabbit hole and look at things like Edward Bernays or the report from Iron Mountain where they talk about uh, the report from Iron Mountain talks about running computer models to see what events uh, or how many deaths, for example, would be required to change people's opinions on a certain policy. So facts are important. Events are important as a way to add information into your body of knowledge from which you draw your conclusions about morality 
justice, uh, reality, safety, all that stuff. So you can't when when the authorities who are pushing policies are creating crises or making up facts, you have to wonder what the real agenda is. So if you have an argument with somebody and they always return to BS, you can know they're not really trying to find the truth. And that's why I really care about facts. And I try to always have an open mind and be objective, even if uh, it's against my own personal interest. So or or my belief structure. I always try to be open mind. Somebody just sent me an email before the show saying, uh, you're into conspiracies. This one talks about how the Jesuits are really pulling the strings in the world. So I'm, I have super big problems with the Pope and a lot of other things in Catholicism, the scandals and stuff, but I'm a practicing Catholic and, uh, you know, you don't want to believe that, but the Jesuits, I think were secular anyway, but, um, but I'm just saying I try to always approach that stuff regardless of how it makes me feel because I'm actually after the truth. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that's how you can recognize somebody who's not after the truth, who's after some agenda they're not laying out on the table. And they start making stuff up or creating situations that support their cause. So uh, so this week, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on Anderson Cooper, and she took issue with people who criticized her for being factually incorrect in support of her arguments. And she said it was quibbling, but the facts that she got wrong were not minor. Yeah. So I want to play those clips and I want to get into it. And and it does go back to something that we had discussed throughout last year about this movement towards both uh, reducing the importance of facts and also replacing that with a morality that's subjective. So morality, in my opinion, should be objective. You should look at the facts, look at the world. Morality, you can either believe it was brought down by God or rose up from the reality of human nature over 10,000 years of civilization, and you get to the same answer, in my opinion. So so to have morality handed down to you on high in the absence of fact and reason is suspicious to me. And we notice that also like with what Tim Cook was saying in the Apple when he got an award for suppressing Alex Jones. Um, so this stuff that Alexandria Cortez was saying, uh, okay, I guess it's Alexandria Ocasio if you want to make it shorter. AOC is what they call her these I days. I know, but that's so cute. I'm not falling for it. <laughs> Plus, I loved that restaurant in L.A. AOC was great. So I can't do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not falling for that. Um, A-OK. Alexandria Ocasio, a okay would be. I'm definitely not going yeah, there. Yeah, can't go there. I can't believe I just gave that one <laughs> out. So uh, anyway, so so there's a, there's so much in what she was talking to Anderson Cooper about that we had that brings together some of the themes that we had identified last year as emerging, and one of the things that you had talked about was how uh, you had predicted. This is extremely topical for this week's news. You had talked about how. Pelosi came out last year or whenever it was and was trying to negotiate with Trump on DACA. And when she came up with a good solution, people on her side of the aisle went bananas on her. I know you have a great clip demonstrating that because they they basically said you can't negotiate with him because it humanizes him yeah. more or less. And you predicted absolutely accurately that uh, she would – this time around, 
refuse to negotiate at all and pivot to the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, hard left progressive stonewalling disruptive that she was going to just uh, be a, a stonewall in uh, against Trump in this in the border wall dispute. And that's exactly what happened this week. I actually had to stop listening to the news. I felt the news jumped the shark halfway through the week when <laughs> Trump and Nancy and Chuck went into a meeting for one minute and then supposedly he slammed the table and walked out and whatever. But but and the narrative makes you think that except for you had predicted it. But let me let me just tell you what she said, what Pelosi said after it. It was so uh, it, it was so telling of the tactics. I hate to be like the tactics of the left. It's the both whatever. It's just the tactics of the left at this time. They're really spelling it out. They're using it. Uh, she said, Pelosi said, I don't think he really wants a solution. I think he loves the distraction that this is from his other problems, and that's most unfortunate. Pelosi added that she doesn't even know whether Trump wants a border wall with Mexico or just wants a debate on the wall. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, if if people who are listening have listened to our show before, that you read me a passage. Do we have time? Find that passage. Do you have that passage from the Indivisible Guide? Where, um, if you don't have it, I have it. It was on an email you sent me. The one I emailed you? Yeah. Uh, About the Democrats needing yes. help stiffening their spine? Yes. Yeah. So so I'm going to have you read that. But first, let me say, not only is she uh, – well, she's accusing him of doing what, what were her marching orders, but justifying – future uses of this tactic by saying he he did it first but this came out what last year the was the new indivisible guy? no this is the new one this one came out all right so indivisible is is democratic operatives ginning up a grassroots movement but with strict marching orders on strategies and tactics okay so you clear but quick because we're gonna go to break god the democrats will continue to need help need our help stiffening their spines. We're not going to mince words here. Cutting deals with Trump could harm Americans and help Trump win re-election. Then they go on to say that the biggest reason that cutting deals is so dangerous is that it reinforces the idea that Trump is a normal president capable of governing well instead of a clear danger to our democracy. Presidents generally get credit for major legislative victories, and Trump will use it as a win to make a case to voters that he can get things done, that he can work across the aisle, and that he can govern and should be reelected. We know that these things aren't true, and we know that any legislation terrible enough for him to accept is dangerous. So why would we help him out? Yeah, so we know these things aren't true, but how do they know, right? If the evidence, if they're manufacturing the evidence that proves it by stonewalling him irrationally with the sole purpose of discrediting him, and not to mention Pelosi added he was very unpresidential. She added that <laughs> in her comments about this meeting. So I'm, I'm not, I listen to a lot of talk radio. I'm not here to be like, so vote Republican. I'm not, this is not my point. My point is, these are tactics. The The right has its own tactics. I'm not talking about that right now, but these are aggressive tactics that are um, not being revealed. Another thing, uh, we got to get to this. Uh, when I say uh, I'm, I'm not slamming left and defending the right, 
I don't know how you define the right, but when I was reading the Wall Street Journal this week, yesterday or the day before, they finally addressed the fact that Democrat operatives were the Russian bots that discredited Roy Moore's social media. That minor little fact. Yeah, that minor little fact. And they completely whitewashed it. The Wall Street Journal completely whitewashed it. So I don't even, you know, that's more evidence. There are not two sides. So I'm not being bipartisan. I'm not being, I'm not being partisan. I'm not being dialectical. I'm pointing out uh, these strategies and um, I will get into, I want to read that Wall Street Journal thing uh, and give you more on the uh, Alexandria Ocasio stuff. But I want to talk a little bit about the shutdown. So let's get to that. After the break, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're talking about what else? The government shut down, but in a way you haven't heard anywhere else, I'm sure. And we actually saw, uh, I have to credit Binkley with this one, he absolutely saw uh, Nancy Pelosi's management of this from the beginning. Uh, I'm crediting myself for seeing uh, some of the other things we're going to talk about on the show, uh, other tactics and strategies. But before we get into the deeper stuff, I wanted to just make a couple of kind of 30,000-foot comments on the shutdown. First of all, I spent some time trying to figure it all out, figure out how it works, the difference between a budget and appropriations and funding and all that kind of stuff. I spent as much time as I could tolerate, and I definitely did not figure it out. I probably got a little closer than most people, but uh, most people are voters. They're, there's over 100 million voters out there, and I doubt the majority of them knows exactly what's going on here. But I want to make two points for you to kind of carry around in your brain and uh, see if it fits. One is, I read this book. It's a It's a real conspiracy uh, foundational book by Dr. John Coleman. I don't know what I think about him. I don't know about that. Could be a limited hangout, probably is, but had some good points in there. And one of the points was he gets into the differences between the European system and the American system. And the, uh, the could have been the most significant difference is that in the American system, Congress has the power of the purse. And Ron Paul used to touch on this too. Earmarks are good. It's Congress saying where the money is spent, not just sending the money to authority, to a centralized, to the president or whatever, to just to decide how huge chunks of money are spent. So earmarks are good. There are 12 different appropriations bills. The one on Department of Homeland Security is the one that addresses the border wall. And in my opinion, uh, if you wanted to keep the, the system working right, you would – the Congress should pass 11 of the 12 appropriations bills and put them on Trump's desk and then see what happens. And that 12th one – then you can talk about that. But holding the entire system or a part of it, some of the appropriations bills were passed, but holding part of it, uh, larger parts of it hostage than necessary is a precedent I'm not crazy about because it puts executive power. Uh, it increases the executive power. Obama started this. Even continuing resolutions uh, takes the power out of the Congress's hands at the moment. And then there's one a solution for the workers who have to wait for their pay. I will uh, give you this brilliant solution, which is why it'll never happen after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man house! A man house! On 
on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am your voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6. Usually today it's Sunday, 1 to 3. We're going to get a lot done, though, even though it's a little bit shorter than normal. And we were talking about the shutdown, the wall. Uh, I had an idea. They just passed a bill that allowed for all of government workers who did not, who aren't going to work, to be entitled to back pay, not only for this shutdown, but for all future shutdowns. And two of my favorite congressmen, Massey and Amash, were of the seven who voted against it. And they had specific reasons for it. They don't like that it's uh, that it's for future shutdowns. It takes the pain out of it for the politicians to use uh, our services as a weapon in their politics. It's a moral hazard. But I was thinking, uh, so the people, if I understand it correctly, the people don't go to work, but they're guaranteed that they are going to get paid eventually. And I thought a better way to do it would be if you show up to work, you will get paid eventually with interest, and then the government could easily nudge Citibank or Chase or all of them to offer lines of credit to federal workers at at government-level interest rates guaranteed by or, yeah, guaranteed by the future payments these people will get. So. You're not getting your check from the government, but you have a line of credit from Citibank that charges you 1% interest or whatever the government would get. And then when the government pays you back, they pay you 1% interest. But you have to actually go to work. So this would take all of the brinksmanship out of holding up the appropriations bills. And I just think it's those kind of solutions could work, but it shows that this is about the drama. But I'd even go a level deeper and say, is it really even about the wall in that uh, it's really not a tremendous amount of money? This is another point Justin Amash made, is that just the Department of Homeland Security alone has a $50 billion budget, roughly, and say the wall is $5 billion. Uh, in, in a $1.3 trillion budget, which Trump signed, there is it's it's not even a rounding error. And that's what we should be talking about. The actual overarching level of spending. I'm a huge advocate for a balanced budget amendment. And so it's a precedent. Uh, the this what's happening now, this brinksmanship is. Uh, it it's a precedent I don't like for a couple of reasons. And the idea of it leading to Trump declaring national emergency is another thing that I think is a bad precedent to set as an expansion of executive power. So I thought this and then Binkley forwarded me or retweeted John Favreau's tweet, which was this. Uh, John Favreau, who's in Hollywood, but he's also a, a Clinton speechwriter, you told me, and I know Obama speechwriter, Obama speechwriter, and I know he's in politics. He retweeted a Lindsey Graham tweet. Lindsey Graham tweeted, Speaker Pelosi's refusal to negotiate on the wall slash barrier funding, even if the government were to be reopened, virtually ends congressional path to fund the wall slash barrier. Time for uh, at real Donald Trump to use emergency powers to build a wall or barrier. I hope it works. Uh, And Favreau says, pumped for the next Democratic president to use emergency powers for a Green New Deal. Climate emergency, Medicare for all, public health emergency, and new Voting Rights Act, <laughs> democracy emergency. I mean, 
That's serious stuff, and that's exactly – and this crisis was prompted by, in part at least, uh, orchestrated caravans, Puebla Sin Fronteras, or whatever it's called. Like, they organize caravans, and they get people to the border to create these events. So that's coming from the left, and the emergency powers things plays right into that, and we will definitely have a Democrat president sometime. So what do you think? Uh, organizing caravans, it sounds like a good business to get into. The, the, it, there's organizations doing that down there. So if they're getting paid to do it, it's going to continue happening. I I always wonder who is paying them because it's probably considered a charity. La Raza, uh, which definitely incites some of these uh, – I don't know about the caravans, but that's funded by the federal government. So obviously the government knows it's in its interest to have conflict because it's there to keep the peace. So we have a conflict of interest with the government. But that's just that. Let's let's get back on track. I think I wanted to talk about some of this. Is that it? Do you have anything on this shutdown wall, Pelosi? Didn't you think that there what, what's it going to take to bring Pelosi to the table in your reading of the situation? I think that Pelosi is going to need public permission from the Demo- – I think it's the Democrats versus the progressives, and I think until she has like public permission from like CNN, MSNBC, from the Democrats, um, she won't give in until then. But I think she might once that happens. So yeah, like, I think yeah. that's that's fair assessment. I want to – before we move on to another subject, I want to take a call. I'm going to go to Tom and Canton. Tom, uh, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Hey, Thanks Tom. for having me. Yeah. Yeah, I had a comment. Well, first, I had 26 years with the military, retired at 18 Delta Special Ops. So I know the importance of maintaining homeland security as well as border control. And I was just wondering why the Democrats don't realize if we secure our borders and eliminate all these illegals, how much are we going to save and how long before we have a budget in the black? Do you really think the the wall is the answer? I believe some form of security. I mean, if you've ever been overseas, quite a few of the countries have either a 12-foot fence or some kind of permanent structure to uh, control the traffic in and out. And it's – yeah. I have a friend who lives down there. Uh, here's a, here's a, just a couple of things that makes me – I mean, I, I look, if you have borders, I don't really, – unless, like, it really messes up um, environmental patterns, you know – whatever but that's separate or the eminent domain issue that justin amash brought up that's also something but i have somebody i know somebody who has a ranch on the border of texas and mexico and he says that the cartels have closed it down by they just have snipers in the trees and if i'm not suggesting that that's what we do but i think that's what a wall is really all about isn't that what the berlin wall was about they just stood there and if you crossed it it was a signal that you were gonna get shot basically right i spent a year at uh off border, so I don't know what that's about. We look up and see the guys on the towers looking back at us. Those were the snipers from the drug cartels, right? Oh, this is over in uh, in Germany back in the oh. late '80s. Oh, the Berlin Wall, right? Yeah, I mean, so, I, I my my point is, you know, maybe not that interesting, but it's just that the border, the wall, is really seems to me more of a signal that. You know, there's usually the snipers along the wall. You look at the the Great Wall of China, the Berlin Wall. It's about it's about an outpost to keep to really use militancy. And if you're going to use it anyway, I'm not sure you need the wall. And I'm a little worried that the wall, uh, 
you know, if things get really ugly, a wall can keep you in. That's what Ron Paul said. I mean, that's what the Berlin Wall was for, to keep people in. So I worry a little bit about that. It can be be interpreted either figuratively or literally, but the ideal is to control uh, your borders, so to speak. And then the other thing I worry about is when you look at Europe, you look at Sweden, you look at places that are having immigration problems. uh, Sweden has complained about Iraqi, Somalian um, Syrian immigration. There's no border between Sweden and Syria. It's not a problem of, of a wall. It's a problem of policy. And and I think that, that's, that the wall is really a distraction from the fact that we, we are at odds about policy. I mean, don't you think that's the fundamental problem? Essentially, yes. But like I said, it could be taken either figuratively or literally. But ideally, we do need... Uh develop, get a policy in place, whether it's control, more border guards, or actually have a physical obstruction to separate the border. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't, thank you very much for the call, Tom. I I can't, uh, now I'm a libertarian. I believe in the right to work and travel. I believe in absolute private property rights. And if you had that, you wouldn't really need uh, the country's borders because, People don't, you know, if you have a free society, in order to eat, you know, you have to work. And and it's just arms like transactions. My grandmother was left in an orphanage as a baby because her father came over. The mother died in childbirth and uh, they came over from Syria and the the father just couldn't hack it. And he went back to Syria and he left my grandmother here in an orphanage. So... In a free society, you it's not you can go back because you don't get everything handed to you. So the welfare state, labor restrictions, all that stuff make it uh, we live in a highly controlled society. So, yes, given all of that, there's uh, I understand the necessity of borders and border control. But but the reality is we're not we're really focused on the border wall on illegal immigrants. But if you listen to what Trump says, he doesn't talk about reducing the number of immigrants. He talks about switching immigration from unskilled, low-level immigration to highly skilled immigration. And I would say that is much more of a danger if you if you think of immigration as a danger to jobs. And in a highly controlled society where they control everything, it might well be. Uh Whereas the unskilled laborers are outside the labor laws, they're outside uh, uh, the restrictions that screw up the labor market. I mean, I, I, I don't think we're having the right conversations. I think it's about uh, right and wrong, about policies, about the fundamental injustices in our system that prevent people, Americans. I mean, there's a welfare floor that keeps Millions of Americans from taking jobs that attract people, desperate people from across the border. Anyway, I've talked about all this stuff before. So, but there's no, you can't not address some of it when that's what's in the news all the time. But I do, uh, I do want to, and I don't think we have time to start playing the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez clips although i want to do that next we've got about a minute so binkley let me uh 
ask you, do you, I mean, do you have a, a gut feeling? Do you, what's your reaction to the idea of a wall? You think it's going to solve the problem? I don't think it's going to 100% solve the problem. It could be effective in some areas. We have a barrier in some areas, right? And yeah. And actually, a lot of what the, when you look at the appropriations bill, it some of it is very specific about repairing stuff that's broken down. And actually, to tell you the truth, if people wanted to do it locally, I have no problem with that at all. Like, I, it's, you know, if they if they want to cordon off their area so that the individual landowners, so if you're in a county and somebody's ranch is on the border and your ranch is on the other side of his ranch, yeah, he probably paid half of what you paid because he's got this border control problem. But if your town wants to say, okay, we're all chip in for that guy's wall, I don't I don't have a problem with that. You're allowed to build a fence on your own property. In Texas, you're allowed to shoot somebody who comes across your property, whether you have a fence or not. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like, they have the solution. You might not like it. It's not pretty, but it comes with absolute private property rights. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you could just go down that, that topic forever, which is why I think that's a topic they pick, because – both there's so many issues on both sides and knowing the nuances of policy and actual behavior, how people would actually work. You can debate forever what would work, what wouldn't work, what's right, what's wrong, why people are coming over, what they're doing when they're over here. It could go on forever, which is why it's a great wedge issue. Yeah. So I absolutely, though, have to get back to something that's even more important, and that is uh, the democratization, democratization of facts. Right after this, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Wrapping up wall talk, shutdown talk with a call from Eric. Eric, you are on with Monica. Can you hear me, Eric? Yes, ma'am. I can hear you, Monica. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. What you got? Uh, I, I think I have a better solution for uh, taking care of the illegal immigration situation that we're faced with every day <clears throat> the um i think we should look to the immigration system it needs to be revised it needs to be modified and it needs to be um i'm a little nervous <laughs> oh don't be nervous uh, it's just we, we we need to we, we need to fix the immigration process and make it easier for immigrants to come over here so that we don't have <clears throat> all this to fight and squabble about the it would be a lot less expensive can i can i suggest something it would be a lot more civilized than a wall when you look at the eu which i have plenty to criticize but they allow they really just ensure the right to work and travel across borders there but they don't allow i don't believe that Workers from other countries get your welfare or they can't vote in your elections and they go back home. And and that's when you put up walls and barriers and make it impossible to come in unless you're on a citizenship track. That's when people will start to panic because uh, uh, these are people who are going to vote who came from socialist cultures and might not understand what makes America prosperous. So, okay. I think, you know, I'm just saying I think that there's a I, I think you're onto something in that uh, making it all or nothing like that raises the stakes. And if you if you if you had it so you could come 
back and forth. I think that's the way it used to be. People would go back to Mexico. They don't want to retire here. It's too expensive. They would work. They would go back. Well, it just seems no one wants to go through the immigration process that we hear. It just seems it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, sneak back and forth and um, cause all kind of animosity on both sides. We just yeah. had a better policy in place. We wouldn't have all these physical barriers to have to worry about. I totally agree. And I think policy is the ultimate answer anyway. You build the wall, it's going to have a gate. And who's going to control it? Then you're back to policy. Uh, lots more after the break, Bob. Hang on. And uh, I'll get to you. This is Monica Perez. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Saturdays, 3 to 6, when UGA is not playing basketball or football. Today I'm on Sunday, 1 to 3, but we're getting it all done. I have a lot to talk about and much to cover from the week. I want to wrap up the border wall uh, discussion. Um, I promised Bob to have the last word, so I'm going to go to Bob. Uh, You are on with Monica. Can you hear me, Bob? Yes, I can. Thank you, Monica. You're welcome. Hi, Bob. Hey, Brad. That's Binkley. I mean, you know Binkley, right? I do. Awesome. Go for it. Well, yeah, I just, you know, the idea of local people putting up a wall I mean, I think it just flies in the face of the Constitution. Uh, you know, local, Why? well, because local communities can't enter into treaties uh, with other countries. I'm I'm bringing it back even uh, further. I'm saying that a private property owner should have an absolute right to exclude people from his property, and he can build fences and walls. He can even just not build that and stand there with a gun in Texas. So. The only reason the federal government gets involved is that our rights to absolute control over our private property has been uh, encroached upon by them. Well, I would agree with that everywhere inside the United States except for the border, the federal border. I don't think that – I think that's the one place where the Constitution is pretty clear that uh, it supersedes state control. Sure. Well, read the passage that you're talking about. Can you? I'm not trying to mess with you. but what, I don't have it in front of me, but... Uh, uh, I know you're not allowed to enter into treaties. I understand that. Yeah. That is absolutely expressed in the Constitution. But I think my point is really that if if we are a collection of private, of sovereign citizens, of individuals that have private property, and we can control that, and they don't steal our money to give welfare which does two things. It supports people who come in who can't really uh, function economically. But much more important, as far as the immigration debate goes, I think, is that it creates a floor under which Americans will not work. So it creates a labor shortage that would not otherwise exist, which draws people in. So we have these laws that create artificial migratory flows. But if you didn't, if you had a free society and absolute private property rights, you would not need to control the border. I, I'm not quibbling that it's reasonable if you have a nation state to uh, 
to monitor ingress and egress. I'm not saying it's it's you have to do it, but I, I wouldn't deny them the right to do that. And Murray Rothbard wrote a great article called Nations by Consent, Decomposing the Nation State, where after the breakup of the Soviet Union, Russia would actually try to screw up, or maybe it wasn't Russia, but people would try to, some countries would try to infiltrate other countries by pushing a lot of migrants in there to change the laws to be more favorable towards the outside country. So it can be, it can undermine liberty because there are bad actors and we have a system of nation states. Well, I always come back to, you know, let's, let's ask the Native American Indians, you know, what they think about unchecked borders. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you have a right to repel invasion. There's no question about that. But if people are, if one person in Mexico says to me personally, I want to go live in your basement and clean your house and you feed me and I'm going to do that for five years and I'm going to go back, I won't even use the post roads. I won't even use the, the roads. Why can't I say okay? Well, because he can leave your basement and then come over to my basement and I might but, not but want to so. the, Then that's the crime, right? But him coming to my basement isn't a crime. Well, like, so like, um, that guy that ran over people in Charlottesville, and we're going to put him in prison, and he deserves to be in prison. But what if we just said, hey, that prison shouldn't have any walls. We should monitor when he leaves. But we that's different because left. he was doing something he didn't have a right to do and has has forfeited his liberties. If I find a person, my cousin from Ireland, wants to come to my house, I I don't – there I, there's – no reason I shouldn't allow that. It's all, you only start having problems when yeah. you deny my right to use my property the way I want. You should be able to deny that person access to your land, but you For might sure. not be able to because there are a lot of laws about what you can and cannot deny, how you can associate. You could build a gated community and say no Irish allowed. There, if every single person in that gated community agreed to that, then – I mean, that's a distasteful exercise of your private property rights, but it's it's because people, I don't know. I mean, you then I start to get into psychology, which I don't care for. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I feel like pri the, the breakdown comes when we do not allow private property rights to, uh, to be exercised to their fullest. Then we all have a collective interest in a border beyond our own property. And that's where the conflict comes, because then we all have to agree. Well, see, I could I could let the guy from Mexico come over to my basement because he's my friend, and I want him to come over and visit. I, I just I want him to come. I think he needs to come to a, a legal a port of entry. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to get him to your house without using public public facilities. But you know, there was a time when that wasn't even true. That before the Civil War, there were 400 private road companies. You could. Have, and there are tons and tons of private airports. You could literally fly somebody privately to your uh, farm and have them work and then fly them back. And there's to me, there's no inherent problem with that. There's no that the problem comes when you start having central control and have to agree on everything. So, I mean, I, I get it. I, it's, a, it's a competing rights issue, which, which, which libertarians even can disagree on. And I actually wrote an a article called The Libertarian Immigration Conundrum that caused a bit of a stir because libertarians like you to be strictly open border. And there are issues with that. I mean, if, if you don't let somebody work unless you also give them the right to vote and they have then the power to vote your fundamental rights away, that's a problem. And you have to go back and say, are we going to eliminate the problem or are we going to 
um, put a Band-Aid on it. And that's why I always go back to we actually need a full-on uh, free society. And you can see when you give up those freedoms, uh, the cascade effect causes a lot of strife and could actually undermine the cohesion of the entire American experiment. And, and you have to return to first principles, which is why when the people on the left don't like Trump, why not return? Why not? Why? Why isn't there a rallying cry, an enlightenment moment, an epiphany that says, let's restore the 10th Amendment? Let's let California do what it wants. Let California be an experiment in the perfect liberal state and not impose that will on everybody else. So uh, the answer is because there are other agendas at work. That's when they say, okay, we don't need the 10th Amendment. We don't need to look down locally. We need to look up globally. And then you see the globalization that might result from the from the reaction to Trump. And then, and I think that a lot of the stuff is dialectical. Uh, so let's get back to Binkley, uh, some, some more fundamental issues that I see, uh, undermining more basic principles, not just basic principles of law and the constitution and the American experiment, but of morality and right and wrong and facts and understanding. So let's play. I want, I, I've teased it a couple of times. I don't want to delay any longer. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Cooper, Anderson Cooper. Uh, I want, we're going to have to play this twice. We're going to play it. It, sound, it sounds like it could be interpreted as benign, but then I want to pull out the implications of it. So let's play it. We'll talk about it. We'll play it again. Clip one? Yeah. One of the criticisms of you is that your math is fuzzy. The Washington Post recently awarded you four Pinocchios oh my goodness. for uh, misstating some statistics about Pentagon spending. If people want to really blow up one figure here or one word there, I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. But being factually correct is important. It's absolutely important. And whenever I make a mistake, I say, okay, this was clumsy. And then I restate what my point was. Um, but it's it's not the same thing as the president lying about immigrants. It's not the same thing at all. All right. Let me just start by saying what her factual mistake was. She said something that you hear a lot from the conspiracy crowd too and uh it's very appealing you want to you want to latch onto it but it just inherently makes no sense that the pentagon misplaced or cannot account for 21 trillion dollars over a 21 year period she said that i'm paraphrasing but she said that 21 trillion dollars would pay for everything you know for the the uh all of my programs could be easily paid for with the stuff that the pentagon lost in the couch cushions <laughs> but the Pentagon's budget isn't even a trillion dollars a year. They don't even get a trillion dollars a year. Close, but they don't actually get it. So it's it's accounting. It's it's numbers that are counted more than once. That and people talk about that with nine eleven. Like right before nine eleven, Rumsford Donald Rumsfeld said, "Oh, the Pentagon is missing three trillion dollars or some outrageous number." And if you look at it, it's just not possible that it's actual money gone. There's plenty of money gone, no doubt. And maybe this is all smoke and mirrors to keep you from seeing the one trillion dollars that did end up in people's pockets or whatever. But that, but that 
using that figure to justify that there is no, we can pay for all of my programs by the couch cushion Pentagon stuff is crazily misleading. It's not, it, it's so inaccurate as to not even the moment's thought. You don't even have to do research. You just have to think about it. And I, so I challenge her characterization of this stuff as mistakes. They're uh, not, it's not plausible that they're mistakes, they're manipulations. And I want to, so I want to replay this again after the break and uh, really get into why it's, why it matters that, you know, facts are facts and truth is truth. And that's usually the same thing. (laughs) So that's, I guess it's always the same thing. Uh, Let's get back to that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasy. I'm interested in reality. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. So we're talking about uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with Cooper Anderson Cooper. I always get his name backwards. To talking about how it's not important if her facts are precisely correct. So saying that the Pentagon had $21 trillion extra dollars lying around to pay for all her social programs was a mere trifle and that her basic point is true, which is she has the moral high ground that I did. She even, I, she might've actually said that. Yeah. She said, cause she's morally correct, morally correct. Now, how do you know what your morals are if you don't know what reality is? So I'm a hardcore libertarian. My favorite libertarian thinker, foundational uh, economist of all time at this point in my life is Ludwig von Mises. He, his philosophy is called praxeology. It's the way things work, the way things actually work. So if people are rational or quasi-rational or mostly rational or irrational, it matters. And that's how you have to look at the world. How does the world actually work? And how do you know how the world actually works? By observation. Observation. So you can do it a direct observation, and psychology and sociology are there to tell you you cannot trust the, the evidence of your own eyes. They try to neutralize direct observation. And then what people tell you, secondhand stuff, the media, the politicians, whatever, the fact people, the scientists. So when those people tell you stuff that isn't true, why? Are they just wrong? Are they inducing it incorrectly? Are they getting the wrong information? Or are they trying to serve an agenda? So when she's saying something like that, she doesn't have the real answer, right? She doesn't have the real answer of where the $21 trillion is going to come from. Why doesn't she care about that? Because she has an agenda. And the agenda is, in my opinion, power. Yeah, it's worth noting that she is a highly trained activist. She was in multiple um, exclusive programs beginning from when she was in high school. So she does know what she's doing. And I agree. It's power and is to pull the Democrats further and further to the left. And her backstory is similar to Stacey Abrams. And, you know, the power Stacey Abrams serves. She's on the Council of Foreign Relations. Yeah. She, she didn't she thank George Soros in her book? Yeah, she thanked Soros in her book, yet her uh, followers would refuse to believe that Soros funded her. But he, but they might not even mind, you know, he's getting rehabilitated. That's but, true. But I, the point is, you know, yes, that 
that is true. That this is she engages in the art of manipulation. I want to replay that clip that we did after this break because we got coming up on a hard break. But I also want uh, when we first started talking about her, it was in response to a tweet. Do you think she's as dumb as she sounds, or is she clever like a fox? And she answers that question. So we'll play that in her own words on the same interview with uh, Anderson Cooper. And, and then you can see that what she's doing is intentional. They're not mistakes. She's not backpedaling. You're not supposed to forgive her because she's a little girl. You know, like that's what somebody called her that. And she, she s- slapped back. But she likes that image because people underestimate her. So I'll, I'll, that'll be in her own words after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6, half the time. And today I'm on Sunday, 1 to 3. We're in the home stretch. Uh, let me, we were talking about the wall. We're talking about the shutdown. I want to move on. I have moved on, but I am going to take this call from Sonia, I believe. Sonia, can you hear me? Uh, you are on with Monica. Yes, I can. Can you hear me, Sonia? Yes. What you got? Okay. Um, what I want to know is what? Sorry. What I want to know is why is Trump just trying to put the wall in? You know, towards Mexico. The data have shown that there are more immigrants coming through Canada. More people have been questioned in terms of terrorism coming through Canada. Um, there was about six people who've been questioned coming through Mexico, where there were like almost 50 during the Trump administration. So it's not very many people at all going to look at terrorism. Um, yeah. When it comes down to the wall, he's built a bridge to, well, not he built it, well, but yeah, it there. there's a bridge going to Canada. But we want to put a wall to Mexico. It makes no sense. I think uh, what what you're saying is an excellent point. I mean, Canada was back in the day a... Uh, a pipeline of communists coming down. That's how the communists were infiltrating, if I recall correctly. This is just off the top of my head. Not to mention, we had a revolution against Great Britain, and Canada may even still be a member of the Commonwealth there. So the system that we rejected, people coming down from there who would be um, made citizens or get the vote might be inclined to have a very different system uh, just like people from other places. I mean, the real problem is when you tie uh, the albatross around the neck of the right to work and travel, uh, the privilege of voting. When you connect those things, I think it's a politically cynical thing to do. And the danger is everywhere because the American experiment, which is not the same as American exceptionalism, but the American experiment is unique and it should and it really takes a lot to understand how to preserve it and there's and voting shouldn't really even be that significant if we can if we stick to our foundational principles of objective individual rights and uh protections from the government limitations on the government the voting shouldn't really even be that big a deal but as we increasingly get to a democratic system uh, unconstitutionally, the more we get to uh, where the voting is is really essential, and um, and I do I agree with you on the kind of stuff, and the and I think the drugs are coming down from there. I always wondered why does New Hampshire have such a big drug problem? My husband said it's the uh, it's the it's the Canadian border is right there, and my sister died of fentanyl in um, illegal drugs she was doing last year, and I and 
I, I think it's as likely or more likely, she lives in the Northeast or did, that it came down from Canada. So uh, excellent point. Worth derailing my uh, topic for, but let's get back on track. Binkley, you had some interesting tweets for me uh, that that I think is going to get us. Well, let, let's just set it up. We were talking about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I wanted to replay the clip uh, that we played earlier of her on Anderson Cooper talking about um, facts are facts, but right is right or something like that. So let's hear it. One of the criticisms of you is that your math is fuzzy. The Washington Post recently awarded you four Pinocchios oh my goodness. for uh, misstating some statistics about Pentagon spending. If people want to really blow up one figure here or one word there, I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. But being factually correct is important. It's absolutely important. And whenever I make a mistake, I say, okay, this was clumsy. And then I restate what my point was. Um, but it's it's not the same thing as the president lying about immigrants. It's not the same thing at all. This idea that facts don't matter is what is the very definition of fake news. Absolutely. And I will say this. Pelosi's argument against the wall is that it is immoral, which echoes what uh, AOC and that, said. That actually, uh, I think that debate actually makes sense. This idea that it's shutting down the government is ridiculous. It's not even a rounding error. It's only in one of the appropriations bills. You're supposed to address them all separately. That's how Congress keeps its hand on the purse strings. Uh, I do not like the way this is being handled at all. It is. It's, but the wall was passed by Congress. Congress just never funded it. It's, it is in the, it has been passed. The law has been passed. That's why it's always an appropriations issue. See, nobody ever talks about that. No. And, and that's why, so it's kind of a, it is a bad faith move on Congress's part not to use the money. And actually I would wonder if, at a certain point, it would be executive privilege to execute the laws by allocating some discretionary spending to the to the wall without a national emergency. Just like the executive can't make laws, but this already is a law. And yes, he doesn't have the purse strings, but implied in the law is funding it implied in a law. If you can't enforce a law, it's not a law. That's that's a basic principle of law. Anyway, a lot of basic principles popping up here. But OK, so. So she, so her, so she says it's a mistake. Her, her things are mistakes. So the the Pentagon thing was twenty one trillion dollars. She said was laying around. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. It's not true. It's, it's not a tiny mistake. Her. It's not a tiny mistake. She she says, well, I correct the mistake and then I reiterate my point. It's like, of course, nobody ever hears the correction. Exactly. It's on page twelve. You know, yeah. like never hear the correction. But she she's masterful in her ability to who me? Yeah. And. But her, uh, you have sent me a couple of tweets of hers that really have me scratching my head. So let's read a couple of those. I want one. Uh, um, well, no, first play that other clip where you see that her, uh, her who me uh, act is just an act. Play that other cl- clip of her saying. Um, clip two. These math questions. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Here we go. 
There are people who say you don't understand how the game is played. Mm -hmm. Do you? I think it's really great for people to keep thinking that. You want folks to underestimate you? Some Absolutely. People? That's how I won my primary. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. <sighs> so that chick is the one who, whoops, 21 trillion. Is that a T? Oh, come on. Come on. So, but she really knows how the game is played. She knows how to, how to speak people's language. I don't know what language it is she's speaking, but she's, she's definitely, she's talked about dog whistling before. Her tweets are dog whistles. Give it, give me a couple of those tweets. I think, I don't know, but I'm thinking cause I don't, I'm not the dog. All right, the other day, Joe Lieberman was on Fox News, and he said that Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not the future of the Democratic Party. And Cortez responded in a tweet in a, in a what, the, Wait, what was called – Yeah, this tweet was widely celebrated, right? This was widely celebrated, and it's called a darling slapback in this article. And there was because like, th her thing is that she in your faces. Right. Critics. She's she's the Trump of the left when it comes to that. He in, in your face is the right. She or, or the left. She in your face okay. is the right. And she said in response, new party. Who dis? That's it. That's the whole tweet. That got like 50 headlines about how awesome her comeback was. So those four words, assuming this is a word, uh, I'm going to count it as a word. The the. Generated probably five thousand words of kudos. Yeah, who who dis is something that the New Orleans Saints do, and when celebrating their it. team. To me, I'm so old with slang. Dis means to disrespect, so I don't really know. Yeah, I don't. Think I mean, she I guess it's that, this. Though. Who is this? I, I think yeah. Who is Joe Lieberman? I think was the whole thing, and this is a new party. I guess that is what was implied. Right. In the tweet. So we can't even hear this guy because he's a, a mummy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So what's the next one? This one is interesting because this shows that she's continuing to do activism within Congress against fellow uh, congressmen and women. She says these are some GOP senators or, or the House. These are some GOP senators blocking government, but are workable. Call them, visit them, ask them to give workers their paychecks without the wall, and then she lists the uh, Twitter handle of all of these senators. So she's sending attack mobs at these people. Right. Oh, so you're saying she's she that's a very careful that's a very important tactic right now in shutting down uh the opposition. That's yeah. how yeah, it's that's economic. That's straight warfare. from the indivisible guide, straight from yes. the emails they send me. Yeah. So uh we we have a lot more we could get into about. It. I think we have to do some of the other clips that she reveals her ideas, her tactics, her Bad logic and bad facts, which are intentional to give sound bites, to give talking points, to mold the thinking of people who are busy, young and busy. All right. So young, busy people uh, find her charismatic, popular, and she's feeding them these talking points and sound bites that really don't stand up to scrutiny and reason. We're going to get into that over the course of this year, I'm sure. But. But I have to say one thing. I want to warn people or point out uh, that this idea of facts are facts, but truth is truth. Um, it's part of what I consider uh, 
they're you they they think it's okay. What she was saying to me is that it's okay to make up facts if you're driving home. An important point that if I had the time and energy, I would find billions of facts that would support it. But basically, the facts are in my brain because I've absorbed them. I've given you the moral judgment, so you don't have to worry about the facts. I'm giving you the judgment, blah, blah, blah. I notice this. Uh, I think it's a related thing. I get these emails from Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, Quora. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do too. It's a question and answer machine. It's really a talking point machine, if you ask me. And I got this one uh Recently, first of all, Quora was established by a guy who uh, was a good friend of Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg knew this guy in a in a genius study over several summers. Uh, his name is Adam D'Angelo, and together they transferred into to Exeter as juniors, which is very hard. Exeter is the number one high school probably in the world. And to go as a junior to get all the credentials without getting their education is unusual. And uh, he just got an award, this Adam D'Angelo, and it says, D'Angelo went to Phillips Exeter for high school where he met Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg. Totally untrue. That's a, a legacy. They went together. They were, I believe they were launched into the world by this study to do stuff, to control uh for surveillance, information, censorship, whatever. So I got this email that said um, from Quora, somebody asked a question and then a bunch of people answer and the crowd upvotes it. And that's the answer that you get in your email. So the question was, was Michelle Obama's mother paid to live in the White House? And the answer is, Marion Robinson, Michelle Obama's mother, was not a government employee while Barack Obama was president or since. I've seen reports that while she was living in the White House, she was on a government payroll earning $100,000 a year. That's nonsense. She lived in the White House as a favor to the Obamas, who needed her to stay with Malia and Sasha when one or both of the parents had to be out of town. Grandma is not a paid position. The whopper about her being paid $100,000 per year by Uncle Sam came from the same fake news factory as the Bertha rumors. Now, in no place does she show any evidence that this woman did not get paid. She said, Grandma is not a paid position and that the information came from the same fake news factory as the Bertha rumors. Thereby, this woman is de- debunking that as well. This got 1.7 thousand upvotes and 200,000 views. And that's what came up in my email. But there's no evidence there, nothing. So the fact is what people vote the fact to be. That's dangerous. Let's yeah. wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything she said was true. She knew. Nobody believed her. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Speaking of which, the Wall Street Journal finally addressed the uh, expose that Binkley and I picked up on minute one that the only proof of Russian bots in this country is uh, that... Democratic operatives, the very people who wrote the Senate report on Russian bots, posed as Russian bots to discredit Roy Moore. And they did other stuff. They promoted his uh, these rumors that he was into underage girls and all that. Since Binkley and I told you about that, other stuff has come out that it was all of that was leaked by horrified techies who were in a, a debriefing where... This organization said, look at this, and it worked. And uh, also, since we last spoke, Reid Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder who bankrolled this behind the cloak of front organizations, 
to the tune of $750,000. Now, you don't know where all that money went, but they keep putting out this $100,000 number, and I'm not seeing any evidence for that. The only number I think there's real evidence for is the seven hundred fifty. So this Wall Street Journal article uh, addresses that these bots were um, hitting Roy Moore, but this is how they lead the article. Russian Internet trolls worked overtime in 2016 to inject disinformation into American elections. There's no proof of that. The people who wrote the report of that were Democrat operatives who themselves posed as Russian bots. And then blah, blah, blah. It says in the second paragraph, the small scale of this operation means it probably didn't affect the final outcome. That's poppycock. It came out because they were talking about lessons learned from how effective it was. And it says, Mr. Hoffman since apologized, saying he didn't know how the funds were being spent. That's implausible. I'm reading this to you because it took forever for the Wall Street Journal to pick up on this. And when they did, they made it a whitewash. So if you think there are two sides, that Wall Street Journal, and by extension, Fox News, is giving you the answers, you should sign up for my Twitter feed at Monica Perez Show and Binkley's at Freedom Max Radio. Next week, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Bill Barr. Hearings are starting now. I wish I had time, but it won't be ripe till then anyway. Tune in next week. This is Monica Perez. <laughs>